Good morning, everyone. Today we're wrapping up our fall message series on a few of the most familiar parables and sayings of Jesus. And we've discovered some surprising things that Jesus wants us to know about who God is and how we are to live in response to God's love. Each message has kind of built on the previous one, so I recognize that in trying to summarize everything today, we may not all be on the same page. This might be your, your very first time here with us in worship, so, so you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Or, or maybe you missed a, a Sunday or two along the way, or maybe you were talking to your neighbor instead of paying attention, you know, which is kind of rude because if you're talking during worship, it really is distracting to those who are trying to listen. So just to make sure we're all up to speed this morning, I want us to do something together, something participatory. I'd like everybody just to stand up where you are if you're able. Just, just, just go ahead, stand up where you are. Come on, everybody. Just get up. Don't be shy. That includes you, you in the back door. That's it. Stand up. Uh, you don't know this, but the screen actually works both ways. Yeah, I got my eyes on you, okay? So I just want you to repeat after me six phrases that will summarize what we've discovered so far. Just repeat after me. Here we go. God is a generous God. He gives me what I don't deserve. He gives me grace through Jesus Christ. Grace happens to me, and then it happens through me. My time, my money, and my relationships now belong to Him. Because of Jesus, I can live a generous life. Okay, great. That was great. You may be seated. Good job. Some of you are a little out of breath like that was the most exercise you've had all week. Well, I do think those six phrases pretty well summarize what Jesus has been teaching us through these parables. And really, they're a summary of what it means to be a disciple what it means to be a Christian, people who are, who are being transformed by the grace of God. So the big question for today is this. Are those statements true for you? Are they true for you? Have you really encountered the generous God in your life? Has your heart been enveloped by His grace? Has your, has your soul been saturated by his love? Has your identity been changed because of his forgiveness? Do your attitudes, your actions, your, your choices, your finances now reflect the presence of this generous grace of Jesus as the core, the, the center, the organizing essence of your very self? Has grace happened to you? And is grace happening through you? Are you living the generous life. We're going to finish today by looking at two parables found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, if you'd like to turn there. Matthew 13, it's a chapter full of nothing but parables about the kingdom of heaven. Parables, these are short, very visual stories that usually have some kind of a hook at the end, some kind of surprise. And what we're going to hear are the two shortest parables Jesus ever spoke. And I, I know you like short. Short means easy to follow. Short means simple to digest, right? Well, in these two parables, 
Jesus gives us parallel pictures about what it is that, that kind of motivates a person to follow Jesus for the long haul, what it is that, that fuels the engine of discipleship, what it takes to pursue this generous God with some passion, some intensity, some emotion, some clarity. Let's hear Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray for a second. Lord, take these words that I've prepared. Use them as you see fit in all our hearts. Help the truth of your word to break through our defenses, capture our attention, and conquer our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a great suggestion for your next vacation destination. It's one that may actually pay for itself. It's a state park in Arkansas called the Crater of Diamonds. Now, if you're like me, most of the time when you're driving a back highway and you see those signs that are trying to lure you to some, you know, bizarre vacation spot, I mean, you, you figure, you know, it's got to be a scam. They use an exotic name to, to entice you, like, like the world's largest ball of twine in, in Minnesota. Or all the, you know, see the mystery spot signs that will take you to this dumpy place in Santa Cruz, California. Or closer to home, you can check out Lucy, the Margate elephant down the shore. I mean, it's a little cheesy. But guess what? The crater of diamonds is the real deal. It's the only diamond producing site in the United States that's that's open to the public. And you can go there and search for precious stones. Best of all, anything you find you get to keep. Last Saturday, a 14-year-old girl named Tana Clymer from Oklahoma City unearthed a 3.85-carat diamond, a yellow teardrop-shaped diamond about the size of a jelly bean. I mean, ladies, how would you like to have that kind of rock on your engagement ring? I mean, it's huge. It's worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Tanya said that she'd been digging in the dirt for about two hours when she saw something that she at first thought was the foil from a candy wrapper. She told a news reporter, when I touched it, I thought it was a marble. I think God pointed me to it. I was about to sprint away to join my family, and God told me to slow down and look. Park officials said Tana named the diamond God's Jewel. And Tana's not alone. Hers is the 396th diamond found there this year. Back in July, a 12-year-old boy found a 5.16-carat diamond. And the largest diamond ever found in the U.S. was found right there in 1924. It weighed 40.23 carats. I mean, that's like the size of a golf ball. Can you imagine just kind of looking down and finding a diamond right in the dirt that that's huge? I mean, I don't care how old you are, how bad your arthritis is, you, if you found a diamond the size of a, of a golf ball, you'd be doing cartwheels across the parking lot, right? Now hold on to that emotion for a second. Because that's exactly the emotion Jesus wants you to feel as you encounter the generous grace of God. That's the emotion he's describing in these two parables. Both parables are about this unexpected discovery, a sudden, unanticipated, blow-your-mind kind of joy. 
the kind of emotional rush that leaves you speechless, that, that takes your breath away. That's what Jesus wants you to feel as you live with him at the center of your life. I mean, let's look at that first parable together for a moment. The first man finds a treasure buried in the field. In Jesus' day, there, there weren't any real banks. There were no safety deposit boxes. You had to keep your valuables in your home, and, and homes were easy targets for criminals. There were no security systems, no video cameras. Remember how Jesus admonished people in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves may break in and steal. I mean, home break-ins was a common Thing. It was risky to keep your valuables at home. And so people often buried their most precious things somewhere on their property. Remember the parable that we used a few weeks ago from Matthew 25 about the servant who was entrusted with this large amount of money and out of fear of losing it, uh, 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 he, he buried it in the ground. That's what people did in Jesus' day. And his listeners would have understood this perfectly. And something Sometimes what happened was a, was a person died without revealing, you know, the place where their treasure was buried. The secret kind of died with them. And then over the years, the property would change hands. And so maybe this man was a farmhand out plowing the field or someone who had just leased the land for his own crops. But he's working out there. Maybe he had a right to be there. Maybe not. But somehow in his labor, he hit something hard in the soil. He, he got down on his knees. He, he brushed away the dirt. Then his eyes almost popped out of his head. The emphasis is on this unexpected joy of discovery. The second parable, on the surface, seems to tell a similar story. Except this time the main character is a businessman, a merchant. The Greek word is emporos, from which we get the English word emporium. He was someone who went out searching for a good deal. The guy in the first story, I mean, he really wasn't looking for treasure. He wasn't like some guy walking around the neighborhood with a metal detector, you know, and earphones, you know, looking for Civil War memorabilia. No, he, he just stumbled upon it. But the second guy is on a mission, and he was specifically looking for beautiful pearls. Pearls were very hard to come by in ancient times. You can't just find a decent pearl by, you know, digging clamshells on the beach. In Jesus' day, people had to dive into deep water with no scuba gear to retrieve the clamshells. A, a pearl diver's equipment basically consisted of a rope and a rock. One end of the rope around your waist, the other end around the rock, and then over the side of the boat you go. Divers had to go down some 40 feet to find the good pearl-producing clams. So it was a dangerous business. Pearls were so precious in ancient times. The ancient Egyptians actually worshipped the pearl. When a Roman emperor wanted to show how rich he was, he would dissolve pearls in vinegar and then drink them mixed in with his wine. Sort of like, you know, a millionaire might light a cigar with a hundred dollar bill. And this merchant finds the pearl of his dreams. I mean, it is a whopper beyond anything he had ever seen before. Sure, it was expensive, but the seller didn't really know what he had. The seller didn't appreciate the pearl's full value. It's, it's like if you were like a, like a baseball car, card collector. You know, goes out every Saturday morning to visit all the yard sales and you, and you dig through all the dusty boxes rescued from people's attics. 
week after week, you're thumbing through worthless cards until one morning you find a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle card in mint condition. The owner knows it's valuable and he wants $10,000 for it. And the cost is high, but he doesn't realize its true value. It could be over half a million dollars. And so you empty out your bank account, you sell your car, you rent out your children, you do whatever you have to do to come up with the cash because you know the card's true worth. That's the parable of the pearl. The emphasis in both these parables is on the, the, surpri- the surpassing worth of this unexpected treasure. And both men were willing to give up everything they had, everything, in order to possess this unexpected treasure. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what it's like when you discover that God is truly a generous God. You see, knowing and serving Jesus isn't about you know, losing out on what the world has to offer or, or suffering through some second-class life. Like if you give your life to God to serve him, you're going to end up you know, holding the short end of the stick. No, it's the opposite. Discovering the kingdom of heaven is making a killer deal. It's about making the best trade you will ever make in your whole life. The kingdom of heaven, it's about trading death for life, guilt for forgiveness, trading bondage for freedom, and shame for joy. Knowing Jesus is about trading rejection for acceptance, trading your fear and emptiness for the love of God that never disappoints. The kingdom of heaven is infinite treasure. The kingdom of heaven is this pearl of great price. You see, we need to recover that jaw-dropping sensation of when we first realize the extent of God's generous love. You see, when we realize that the value of Jesus far exceeds the value of anything we have on earth, then we can joyfully give it all so that we can possess him. Those who recognize the value of the generous grace of Christ joyfully surrender all to him. You'd be a fool not to. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus tried to get this point across this way. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his own soul. Think of the image of a scale. You pile up everything in this world on one side, you put Christ on the other side, and it comes out lopsided. What he offers is worth so much more. Christ and his kingdom are treasures beyond compare. But let's just be honest. On a day-to-day basis, we often value other things more than we value Jesus, our scale gets out of whack, we get distracted, there's a lot going on every day. How do we maintain this joy of discovery when we've been following Christ for a long time? Well, recognizing the unexpected joy of the kingdom doesn't mean you walk around on a cloud all the time, that you're euphoric all the time, your eyes are kind of glazed over like you're in a trance. If faith is real, that it means Jesus has to be present with you in your daily routine, that he goes with you into the mundane and the unexcited and even the boring things of life. So we need this constant sense of renewal, a a constant inflow of grace, a reminder, a refresher, a daily infusion or transfusion of his generous grace into our hearts that rekindles this sense of unexpected joy. The Old Testament book of Lamentations, there's a beautiful verse, chapter 3, verse 22. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. New every morning. Every morning. Can you wake up every day and begin each day with a sense of newness, with a renewed sense of God's grace covering your life, a renewed surrender to His grace at work in in you as though you were experiencing God's mercy for the very first time? Can you begin each day as though you were tasting God's goodness for the very first time? His mercies are new every morning. That's the generous life. That's when following Christ isn't a burden, but a, but a life of great blessing. That's when you know that by following Christ and going hard after His will for your life, you're not missing out on anything. In fact, you're gaining far more than you ever dreamed of. That's the generous life. As one writer put it, it's the glad recognition of God's rule over my heart and life, including my salvation. You know, this is Reformation Sunday. The Reformation was all about the rediscovery of grace. Grace is what got Martin Luther uh, excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. Grace is what made John Calvin and the other reformers outcasts and criminals. Remember the list I had you recite at the beginning of the message? Well, the reformers had a list too. They had five phrases in Latin that captured the essence of how their understanding of the gospel differed from what was being taught at that time by the Roman Catholic Church. Solo gratia, sola fide, sola Christu, sola scriptura, sola de gloria. That means you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the authority of Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That's why one of their favorite Bible passages was Ephesians 2.8, where it says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. See, God is a generous God. And when you discover His grace, it's like finding a treasure that brings you unexpected joy. A joy that you can rediscover every day as you allow His grace to carry on its work in your heart, your mind, your emotions. I've said that often the parables come with a hook, a twist, uh, something unexpected at the end. Well, where's the hook here? Most people miss it because uh, they read these parables because Jesus often taught with great subtlety. Sometimes there are layers of meaning in his words, different ways of dissecting the truth of his teaching, unexpected insights that suddenly take you to a deeper level. And I think that's true here. If you look back at the first parable, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. That's a pretty straightforward analogy. Kingdom of heaven equals treasure in a field, right? Well, think of the second parable. Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Here the kingdom of heaven is the merchant, not the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is the one doing the searching. It's not the pearl being found. So who's the pearl? Well, you are. You are. You're the one God has been passionately seeking all along. You're the pearl that is so valuable in his eyes that he paid the highest price possible just to have you, the the very blood of Jesus, shed on the cross for your sin. 1 Peter 1, 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things 
such as silver or gold that you were bought, redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He gave everything just to have you. That's our generous God. That's our generous Savior. He paid everything to get you, everything. So here's the paradox of the gospel. You think you're looking for God, but in reality, he's been the one who's been looking for you all along. He's the one finding. Folks, Jesus has made an infinite investment in you, his own blood. He's the one who paid the highest price, everything he had to purchase you. You are his pearl of great price. He's the one who sees infinite value in you. You are his treasure. He's betting everything on you. He is the generous God. Now live for him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. And I just pray that each day we could start with this fresh wind of your generosity flowing through our hearts, this fresh awareness of your grace, the passionate intensity of your love for us. And that would set us free from this performance mentality we go through, this this insecurity that drives us and confuses us and tarnishes all our stuff, all our relationships. Lord, may we start each day just kind of washed clean again by your grace and recognizing that you go with us into every situation we face each and every day. So Lord, help us to just live with this tremendous sense that you are a generous God and in response, we can live a generous life. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray.